what in the world are psychometrics? They sound a little interesting. They sound a little scary, but can they help your learning program? We're going to talk about them with John Kessler and Tom Rogers from Accenture on this episode of the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hey, greetings, hey, everybody. everybody. John Kessler, welcome back to the program. Many thanks. I'm glad to be back. Appreciate it. It's been, it's been a little over a year now, I think, right? Way too long, John. Way too long. And you brought a friend with you. Yeah, I brought my sidekick. Man, he is, I shouldn't call him my sidekick. He's my lead kick. Um, I, I couldn't <laughs> do what I do without psychometrics these days, Dana. So I'm, I'm really happy to have Tom with us. So welcome, Tom. Yeah, thank you. I can assure you that we're not at all scary, Bob. But, you know, Based on that intro, you know, people might be a little bit fearful, but I, can, I promise <laughs> you, you know, there's nothing scary at all about what we do. We'll talk them off the ledge, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll soften it up. Um, before we dive into the heart of the matter, Tom, um, you're from Manchester, England, England, across the United uh, the Atlantic Sea. You know, we, we usually talk like sci-fi stuff, but in an effort to be inclusive and to resonate with some of our, our listeners who might be into sports ball, uh, tell us a little bit about your football team. <laughs> That's about all I know about Manchester. Sports ball. Aside so from the reference in hair and the football team. I'm so sorry to disappoint you, but I'm not a football fan, so there's very little. I mean, maybe I shouldn't have said that. I could have told you anything, and you would have just sort of happily gone along with it, I think. But, oh, that's but, funny. Know, I mean, I'm more of a sci-fi fan than a sports fan, I'm afraid to say. So, you know. So we should have we should have led with Mandalorian Season 3 coming up. But, maybe um, that would have been a good yeah, yeah. better start, yeah. Or, or Star Trek Picard Season 3 yes. finally started. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Watched that last night. That was good. Anyway, let's dive into the real topic. Um, so, hey, John, Tom, whichever one of you, uh, do talk us off the ledge. What is psychometrics and how can they help? Yes. Yeah. Great question, Bob. So, you know, in, in my role as the, the responsible assessment and credentialing lead here at Accenture, we, we have the opportunity to talk with a lot of our function leads uh, across recruiting, performance, uh, IND, but really a lot in learning as well. And the question is beginning to become more and more prominent is, hey, how, can, how can you help me with assessments? How, how can an assessment help my learning strategy? And, you know, that there's that's a big big landscape so when we start thinking about that question and 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 it normally we kind of kick it back to the learning lead and say what are you trying to accomplish the psychometrics is really the the basics and the principles the foundation of how we develop an assessment that is valid that is reliable that we can ensure isn't delivering bias and you know tom is our lead psychometrician he has a group of folks that partner with us and, you know, I don't claim to know all of the things that he does in his space. I know just enough to be deadly, but he, he <laughs> actually runs all of the analyses on our assessments that we, that we deliver in our credentialing space. And, and we're starting to dive in more and more with uh, other learning assessments. How do we make sure that, you know, a 15 question assessment is delivering the outcomes that's trustworthy? How do we make sure that Jake is getting the right type of feedback that helps him learn? How do we make sure that Bob, Dana, and John, if it's a multi-form assessment, are having a fair shot at passing the assessment because each form has different questions? Are they balanced? Are they targeting the, the, the right concept? So that's really where we're anchoring these days is around using psychometrics as a foundation 
to show that we are doing the proper, I want to say background, the proper you know, development on all of our assessments so that we can believe the outcomes and we can trust them for our people. Right, Tom? Yeah, yeah. It's the, you know, I mean, in, in short, it's the science of assessment, right? So yeah. we are, what we're interested in is, are we measuring what we want to measure? You know, what is, what is it that we actually want to measure, you know, firstly? Um, and then, you know, are we doing the procedure so that it's nice and defensible? You know, someone comes to us and says, you know, hey, I failed this test, but I know I should have passed. Are we in a position where we can explain to them, you know, look at all these procedures that we followed to demonstrate to them that they were treated in the, in the proper way and treated fairly, you know. Um, and then, you know, a, a bulk of it at the end as well is this this um, analytical work, right, this, this uh, post hoc validation. Yeah, so you spend however many thousands of dollars on an assessment, on a learning program, you want to know that it's working and doing the right thing. So this is the analysis we do. And then we come back to you and say, hey, you know, look, here it's doing this, it's doing this, it's doing this. So we know it's working. Or, you know, hey, there's this one line here. Maybe you just want to make a small change here and it might improve your learning. It might improve your outcomes here, here and there. So really, I mean, you know, just to give you a headline, I think it's that sort of scientific element where we're making it um, objective and we're making it, you know, measurable. So you're a measurement scientist. Yeah, you could you could say, yeah. I think psychometricians tend to come from sort of three different backgrounds, really. Primarily statistics, you know, they're really, really mathsy people typically. Um, and then secondarily, you get people coming from psychology quite often. Um, and also people come from education. And that, that's my background. I, I came in it through education. I was a teacher first. And, mm. then, and then I worked on developing assessments as a content developer. And, you know, that's that's the way I, I came to it. Maybe before we dive deeper, let's take one step back. John, I think we talked about this last time. What really is the power of using assessments as part of your learning program? Because I, I think we probably have listeners who yeah. aren't even into that idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, assessment is normally seen as this bad thing, right? We we've all had to pass. It is scary. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's always been being seen as what we what we consider to be a summative assessment. We learn something, we go through training, we go through certain experiences, and then at the end we have to pass this hurdle or clear this bar that says, Oh, I'm qualified or I'm not. Now there's very relevant places where those are still needed. Uh, licensure exams, certification sure. assessments, those kinds of things. But what we're seeing is really a transformation of how assessments are used in learning. And mm-hmm. that is, you know, we're, here at Accenture, we're actually coining the phrase precision learning through assessment. How can an assessment be used to help the learner learn? Right. So what we're trying to do is embed assessments along the journey, many times up front to help you know, Tom understand what it is he knows, what it is he doesn't already know. There's a there's a strong you know, belief now that I don't really care how you've learned it or where you've learned it. I just want to know what you already know, because as we enter a learning program, what I love about, you know, this conversation, you guys, durable learning. Right. I, I want to make sure the learning is durable. I want to make sure it's impactful. I can do that in many ways if I understand where that individual is. If I were to tell you, hey, we can up increase engagement uh, or overall satisfaction of a learning program, most folks would say, yeah, fantastic. How do I do that? Well, one way that we do that is by giving people the opportunity to uh, test out. And that's what these pre-tests will often do, these precision learning opportunities. Maybe I don't need to set through eight hours of learning 
or go through, you know, two extra experiences. Maybe I can show that I already have that capability or that competency and I can check the box there. Our, our learning leaders love it because, you know, as a result of that, we're saving training hours. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, what I think is really important and it's often overlooked, Bob, is we set the learner up for success. Think back to when you were in middle school or you know high school, whenever it was, Algebra 1, Algebra 2. You had to actually show confidence in Algebra 1 before we put you in Algebra 2. Well, as we start developing learning strategies or talent strategies, and we want our people to move along that competency or proficiency in a set of skills, if I assume that Dana has achieved what we need him to achieve prior to moving to, to level two, but I'm not sure that he has done that, and if he hasn't, I'm essentially throwing him into a trig class or a calculus class, but he doesn't have the foundation knowledge or skills that he, that he needs to be successful. So we want to help the learner learn, yeah. but we also want to provide some confidence and some some opportunities to to reinvest training costs for the organization. Yeah, that's a waste of money. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of Dana's mental agency because now Dana feels bad. <laughs> one, one thing, John, one thing, John, too, um, you know, you mentioned summative assessments and the scary yeah. notion that usually comes around summative assessments. So the last six months or so, we've been focusing specifically on formative assessments, which is really what you're talking about, right? The idea of what do I know and how do I help you move forward? And I remember specifically reading research in in some book uh, not too long ago where it said, we wish we actually called it responsive teaching rather than Mm. formative assessments, because even the idea notion of, again, just assessments, even when they're done to the way that formative is supposed to be doing, you still are getting evaluated. (laughs) Like That's how you feel. You feel like you're still getting evaluated. So I really do like this notion of this constant idea of you are assessing because it is a critical tool within the learning process. There's lots of ways, I think, to tell whether someone has learned something or what it is they need to learn next. You know, I mean, many different ways to do that, but it happens that assessment is the best, you know, because of because of its objective, you know, Mm -hmm. because it doesn't need to be resource heavy you know, because of the sort of accessibility around it uh, and all these things. You know, I mean, you can just ask people how well they're doing, what they think they need to do. But as soon as you've got an organization of 720,000 people, you know, you can't necessarily operationalize that, right? Whereas an assessment allows for that in a way that, you know, otherwise may not be possible. Yeah, there's all there's all types of terminology in the assessment industry, right? There's summative, there's formative, there's adaptive testing. Yep. Uh, you know, there's there's criterion referenced assessments. Um, and what we do is is when we sit down with our learning professionals, we start asking questions to help us dial in. Hey, what are you looking for? Are are you really interested to make sure that you know this is a, let's just say this is a norm referenced approach? Well, norm reference. Remember the days of college when you would. You go through a course and, you know, everyone in the course would basically score a 40 percent on the assessment, but everyone got an A because they rounded up. Right. There was yeah. a, there was a curve. Those are the well, that's best. kind of in many ways. That's kind of what norm referenced is. Right. It's like, how do I how am I doing compared to my peers? Mm-hmm. And, and if that's what you're looking for, fantastic. That's a fantastic solution. We just want to make sure you understand that there's a difference between that approach and maybe a, a more classic criterion reference, which is, hey, we're going to establish a body of knowledge that we want you to have. Right. And you need to you need to be able to assess yourself against that. 
And and Jake, one of the one of the challenges that we have right now in the industry is this idea of, oh my gosh, I'm being assessed. Yeah. How's yeah. my data going to be used? Who's going to see it? What happens if I don't pass it? So there's there's a lot of um change management and and communication that needs to happen to ensure that learner that you know their data is not going to be exposed is it is it really for you and your learning or is it going to be displayed on a scoreboard somewhere because i'll tell you mm -hmm. folks if if you choose the latter and you want to share scores and you want to have scoreboards there there's another whole component of the assessment strategy that we probably won't dive into today but we need to talk about it at some point and that is assessment security yeah. we've all seen the posts you know in, in on the web about you know scoring and and people using answer sheets um, what i what i would encourage all of our learning professionals is think about the risk of those behaviors and don't set don't set a program up for failure by you know making it look like oh my gosh if i don't pass you know what's the consequence because people will do you know what they need to do to, to try to pass that assessment unfortunately we see that a lot in the industry not just here at accenture but pretty much worldwide so john and tom uh, you mentioned this notion of precision learning through assessment the question i have then is how can measurement bring learning closer to the workflow closer to where people are actually going to be able to apply it because they're trying to solve a problem great question great question and and that's something we're diving into now and it, it does kind of go back to the comment of i don't really care how you learned it right or how you develop that skill i just want to make sure you have it and dana the question often starts with what is it that you're trying to learn what is it you're trying to measure Start with the work, not with exactly. the knowledge or the learning objectives. Exactly. Yeah. So, so many times we start with a question like, what are you that you're trying to accomplish? We then begin to move into translation. What am I trying to accomplish to what are the knowledge, skills, behaviors that we think a person needs to accomplish those? And then we're going to talk about, OK, how do we do we have listening points? Do we have measurement points in the, in the business where we can collect that information? You know. If the assessment is on a, a person's ability to code, that's not as difficult to measure as maybe their cognitive abilities or a behavior, yeah. which is a little bit more challenging. So there's a there's a whole different set of assessments that we would look at. At the foundation of that, though, once we understand what it is we want to assess or measure, and then we understand what the the, the guidelines are around that. In other words, what's the proficiency? What's the level of expertise? That's when Tom and his team really help us with, okay, if that's where you're heading, here's best practices, here's the standards, and let's talk about things like piloting your assessment in the population to make sure that the items will perform as expected. Let's make sure that we don't have confusing items on the assessment. Maybe Jake is joining us from France. And, and Dana, you know, you and I are here in the US and we write this assessment in English. But, you know, Jake might not be, uh, you know, English as a second language kind of guy. Right. So we want to assess his ability to understand the content, not his ability to understand the content while translating languages. Sure. Yeah. So it really does get down and boils down to what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Tom, any, any thoughts there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge topic, um, really. You know, it hits on a few, a few things, right, especially. I mean, my, my first thought was around, you know, precision around the assessment. 
and you know the amount of um, all the, uh, you know ninety nine percent of the work we do is about reducing error that comes in from different sources, right? So when someone sits down and they take an assessment, we only want it to be their ability being measured and nothing else outside. You know, so um, we, we don't want anything like someone's geography. We don't want anything like, you know, if there's noise happening outside the window that's distracting them, we don't want any of those things. We want all of that to be taken out. And we, we can do a lot of that by design, you know, good design decisions at the beginning. Um, choice of uh, test questions, like John mentioned, you know, choice of um, how, how the assessment will be scored, other things like that help to design out some of this error. But at the end of the day, there will still be some in there. You know, measurement error is a, a, fa- a factor of life, really, for, for the work we do. And so we have to try and reduce it as, 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 as much as we can and then, um, you know, inform our stakeholders about how good a decision they can make based on the assessment that they have and the amount of error and, and you know, all, all, all these other things. So I think that's probably my sense. Tom, what, what are some common forms of bias that are you see introduced by novices or people who don't do this for a living? What are just some yeah. ways that measurement can be derailed? Yeah, I mean, bias typically comes from right at the very beginning at the, the item writing stage. Um, and so an example I always give um, when I'm trying to explain this to SMEs who are doing writing is, if, if you have an assessment of um, mathematics, for instance, and the context of the items is around sport, right, then it means that even if you don't need to know about the sport, I mean, let me give you the example of cricket. See, we are getting back to sports. We, we are finally, yeah, so this is good. Oh, oh, cricket is a sport. I thought it was an insect I killed well, in my backyard. This is it. So, so Donna, you're going to do worse on that, that assessment than I am, right? Because you're put <laughs> off by this. So I start asking you about wickets and runs and overs, and you're just thinking, what, what is this about? You know, so Wicket is an be... Ewok. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. So, of course, there are groups in society who will know less about cricket than more about cricket, right? If you're assessing someone in the UK, they're likely to know a bit more. And even if cricket, the knowledge, cricket knowledge doesn't depend for the answer, the fact that that's the context might put people off. Right, it creates a psychological barrier, and they say, "I just, I don't, you know, I don't get it. I don't know how to answer it, even if it isn't." So, so that's an example where it comes in right at the at the, at the beginning. Right, they're, they're supposed to be measuring mathematics, but they're actually putting in this characteristic that's going to turn some people off. So and interesting, Danny you're, Danny. you're hitting on a point, though. I mean, we've developed a responsible assessment framework. I think we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. Yep. MVRI methodology validity, reliability, and impact. And, and we look at the assessment through each of those lenses. And one of the things that we, the methodology would cover is, you know, is there inherent bias built into the assessment based on the population? You know, And then at the end of the day, though, there's a there, the, the I component, the impact, adverse impact, especially. We're looking for when, when we are commissioned you know, by our legal team, to run, you know, adverse impact studies, we're looking for demographics like race, gender, ethnicity, age, those kinds of things, because we do want our assessments to be fair. And, and that is top of mind these days, you know, all the way up through our CHRO, obviously. Yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the right thing to do. But I also think that um, it's, you know, um, it's going to become more and more strict legally, you know, yeah. in, in future, you know, then mm. it's, it, we're not going to be required to do less adverse impact. Um, in future, it's just 
I think legislators are going to be more and more serious about this because, of course, it's really impactful to people's lives. And it's potentially, you know, assessments are a really good potential source of levelling society. You know, you come in, you're all equal, you're all treated the same, uh, but it's also done incorrectly. It's also a potentially a source to perpetuate, you know, biases. So that's why, you know, a lot of the work we do on adverse impact is really, really important. Well, speaking of bias and thinking about um, legality and governance as well, let's maybe talk about AI um, because that's also a space I know within the yeah. assessment world that it's a, there are new providers, there's new solutions specifically with GPT-3 models and so forth. Yeah. And Jake, don't forget, don't forget that we now lose our corporate learning podcaster license if we don't talk about generative AI on every episode uh, yeah. from now on. I know. So <laughs> thank you for bringing us there. It's going to happen. I, I, I know I didn't want to bring up, but I did not mention the current model actually used the the um, GBT3 model. But anyway, I, I just by the way, this question that Jake is asking, he typed into uh, to one of those generative AI. So he got <laughs> yeah, the question yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I cute. actually had an argument with it the other day because if you've seen all the stuff on like around Bing, it's pretty interesting. But yeah, yeah, yeah. anyway, keep going, Jake. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. But back back to that. Like, what what is your what is both of your guys' perspective on that? Where where do you see it going, and where do you also see some of the risks? Right. Right. From, right speaking right. of biases, we're 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 working with uh, third parties to understand what is the impact that it could have to our assessment approach and our assessment strategy. I do think there's a lot of legal concerns that are out there from the from the AI space. Think about this. Many times AI is going to do what? It's going to have to learn, you know, before it can respond to a question that's being asked. And, and lots of times the learning happens through ingesting data. And if, if, if we're using AI in HR to make decisions about our, our employees or our people that involves outcomes of assessments. Right. Number one, we have to be we have to make sure that the data feeding the AI is accurate. OK, so that's one side of the equation. And, and we do that by you know, making sure that it's built properly or making the right assumptions on the outcomes based on the validity that we can prove so on and so forth. Now, the AI side of it, like the chat GPT, it's 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 evolving. I mean, we we uh, we're, we're kind of keeping our eye on, like I said, we're going to see where it takes us. But. You know, we're, we're recommending folks, we're, we're, we're putting, you know, NDAs on the front of our assessments saying, hey, you know, copyright infringement. I, I mean, as an employee, you know, you're not expected to post, you know, questions and answers to exams out on the web. So it's it really anchors back to our ethics and compliance in many ways. So I, I would say there's not a one size fits all answer other than. Yeah, it's it's hit us pretty quickly, and and we're we're working with legal and and different uh, organizations across uh, Accenture to see how you know, we can solve for it. But there's there's not an easy solution right now. Yeah, I think that's great, John. And like right now, you know, in this current moment, taking a defensive stance around it, particularly in your field, totally makes sense. What what I'm excited about is moving it past then. And now this is looping back to the term that Jake. Uh, use that I wrote down responsive teaching, right? Like when we get to the point where we figured out the legality, you know, we can keep our data set within a firewall, like all of that good stuff. And when we can trust the output of the AI, how could we use psychometrics in the moment and in real time to know 
what somebody, you know, know what somebody knows and make that assessment and then change the learning experience in real time to get to our precision learning through assessment. Thank you for making that a four-letter acronym and not a three-letter acronym, by the way. (laughs) Now, I will tell you one area where I believe AI can be a tremendous asset for the assessment development area, and that is item development. One of the challenges that we have is getting experts, getting time from the experts to write questions that's often called content validity or, you know, we, we rely on that around construct validity and so on and so forth. Do we have the right people writing the, the questions? Do they have the right level of expertise? If we could teach and have AI be able to, you know, look at a set of content and say, hey, here's 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 the questions that we think needs to be asked and then maybe just have a SME review it. Right. Oh my gosh, the time that we would save and the benefit of AI in that sense. Tom, I know you and I have talked about that in the past, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, when you know, when this sort of generative AI first came onto the scene or came onto our radar, I think we were really worried about how it might, you know, it's an existential threat to all assessment, really. But but actually, you know, we have a security framework, you know, there's a there's a spectrum of security approaches. And really, that just slots in as a standard threat, you know, just like all the other threats. You know, security, test security has existed for as long as assessments have existed, which is, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So it's just, it feels like it's just going to fit into that. And it might change the mix a little bit. We might do things a bit differently here or there. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll accommodate it like, like all other threats. You know, I remember that the last time something like this happened, which was when, um, Google were um, piloting Google Glass. Do you, do you remember those mm-hmm, cam- uh, glasses with a camera in the front? And everyone was really worried, what's going to happen to our test content? Because everyone's going to wear these glasses and it'll it'll scan and take a photo of all the content. Well, you know, it's, it went away. Okay, you inspect the glasses on the way in, you know, and it's just it just was accommodated. And I feel like we'll do the same. And actually, you know, we will find that the benefits outweigh these disadvantages, you know, because we will get generation of content or review of content. We will, you know, we will get other sort of efficiencies, I think. So good to, really interesting to see how it develops. We really, really don't know where it's going to go. So given the clock on the wall and holy cow, that went fast, really fast. <laughs> could not <laughs> believe it went that fast. But I got 30 more questions. Yeah, I know. I feel like we need multiple parts here. But Tom, since this is your first time on the show and and one thing that I always enjoy is when someone moves from one position to another. And so you come from an educator role. And there are a lot of people in this space, and I know all of us can think about from years ago, it felt like the field was was big, but not as big as it is today. There's so many new roles, and it continues to change, and there's so many opportunities to move. So tell me the story. Like, How did you move from an educator, and what got you excited about being a psychometrician? <laughs> Um, well, um, yeah, so yeah, I was teaching and I was doing a lot of exam preparation, like all teachers have to do these days. Um, and you know, I don't think there was a moment when I realized I was interested in working with assessments, but there were times, critical times, and I'm sorry to say negative times, really, when I, when I looked at an exam paper and I said, these questions are terrible. You know, my students shouldn't have to deal with this. You know, <laughs> it's not fair. You know, and and so um, over over you know a period of years, 
I would sort of find myself thinking, you know, I need to prepare my students to pass this exam. It's really important. It's going to have an impact on the rest of their lives. The exam has to be good. You know, it has to be have, have good quality. It has to be fair. It has to be applied properly. And so over time, I just got more and more interested in, you know, especially the content development side. Um, and that's eventually where I moved to, to try and, you know, with, with just from my you know, small position to try and have an impact on making um, the assessment content better. Um, and then from there, of course, the, the universe sort of opens up. There's a million and one different roles that you can be involved in when you, when you start um, working on assessments. So, so from, from there, uh, you know, after a few years, I um, yeah, specialised, got my PhD, and then um, just since, since then, I've been doing this. That's awesome. He's the master Jedi of uh, psychometrics. <laughs> <laughs> And thank you, John, for bringing it around to Star Wars. As I was just going to say that. Too. He's been That's on the fantastic. show now twice. He knows the, That's he right. knows the policy. He knows the gig. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Well, as Jake said, uh, we are getting a little bit over time, um, which, by the way, it just struck me. We've been saying that almost every episode, I think, for the last year or so. So yes, maybe yes. our listeners can tell us if you would rather that we go on a little bit more. Maybe we go out to like 40 or 45 minutes instead of 30 that we target. Drop us a note and let us know. We, you know, we have changed the time on our podcast based on listener feedback. So keep giving us that feedback. And or if you just want us to shut up quicker, that's totally fine too. But let, let us know either way. Meanwhile, thanks, John. Thanks, Tom. Thank thanks, you. Dana. Thanks, Jake. Uh, this has been Bob saying, join us next time for the Learning Geeks. And until then, stay geeky, my friends. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.